everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as usual and today we are talking to Nelson. Nelson grew up in a Cuban household. He's born and raised in Miami but his parents are both from Cuba and he shares with us the difficulties he had to go through during his childhood growing up in a poor family and how that impacted his life and his vision about money, about freedom, about happiness. We also talk about Cuban life, how it is to actually live in Cuba. And Nelson gives us a really different reality of what you might have seen on Instagram and on TV. And we dive into the real life of the Cuban people and the struggle they have to go through every single day. Enjoy. Nelson, I'm so happy to have you on the show, brother. I'm honored. Thank you for inviting me. We met about two years ago now. It's been a while. November 2019, yeah. It was actually no. at this time, pretty much yeah. two years ago, like to the day. I don't remember exactly, but like October, September, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, we we met during the gratitude training, which was a self development training we did together. Some guests on the podcast are coming from this training as well, mm. and man, I remember you from the training. I, I think I remember <laughs> the first time I saw you. Uh, you had a Batman T-shirt. I did. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much as soon as the trainer, like the, the coach said, like, does anyone wants to get a mic to say something? I think you, you're the first person who grabbed the mic to speak. Every time. Yeah, every <laughs> single time. <laughs> when it got to the point, like, can we have someone else, please? <laughs> yeah. and, and I actually really quite vividly remember one of the first things you, you said, because it Let's say like you, you're loud, you speak a lot, you have a st- strong opinions about things. And one of the first thing you, you said was something along the line of, uh, we were talking about freedom and you said something like, for me, freedom is having enough money, a lot of money to do whatever I want so I can have a happy life and give anything I want to my family and my loved one and, and stuff like that. Which we talked about it. Yeah? Everyone wasn't agreeing with you. Right. And it was so interesting to see you evolving through the process of the training uh, from the person you were the first day you stepped in to the last day we finished the training because you changed so much and you opened up so much. You you came in as the as this big, strong, loud, macho man righteous man stuff like that and and you're just a big teddy bear with a big heart <laughs> with a lot of love but you didn't want to show it on day one and at yeah. the end like we shared a lot during the training we did a lot of, of things course. together we cried a lot together and yep. and it was so amazing to see you open up like that and change so much and and yeah i was i'm really grateful to have shared this experience with you because it was really amazing to go through that together for sure I, i'm i'm super grateful for it too and you specifically you were you were in like you were in a lot of the small groups and a lot of the activities we did within the training that where we had to spend a lot of time together and, mm. and yeah man you you specifically actually saw a lot of stuff that not even the whole group saw so that's true i'm i'm grateful i'm still like a masculine man and i still have those <laughs> traits about me I, now however though i understand that like vulnerability isn't necessarily weakness that was that was my perspective before i was like being vulnerable is a weak because i saw everything as a as a fight as a war 
back then. I remember my perspective like, like it was yesterday. Everything, <laughs> I had to win at everything. Everything was a competition. Everything was a fight to the death. And I'm not going to die. So, you know, like, and, and now my perspective is so different. It's like, man, someone doesn't always have to lose. You know, there's a lot of situations where both of us can benefit and both of us can come out of this better and in a better situation. I can do something for you. You can do something for me. And, you know, it's like, it, it's funny how, how life, life sometimes it's, I, it's like I was, I always say like my, my great grandma, she raised me until I was about 16. And, uh, yeah, so she passed away when I was about 15, 16. And one of the things she always said was, I never under, she said it in Spanish, I'll say it in Spanish, I'll say it in English, she said, um, ojalá que tú me encuentres donde yo me pierdo, that means, I hope you're able to find me whenever, wherever I get lost, and I, I kind of, I kind of took that literal, and I didn't understand it until now, until like a few years ago, when I really started thinking, she was saying like, I've gained so much wisdom, that you're, you're I'm going to lose you, and you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm so far ahead of you in life that you don't, you're not even capable of comprehending what I'm saying right now. Mm -hmm. So wisdom is like, I, I thirst for wisdom now. I didn't have that thirst before. I thirsted for knowledge. Like I mm -hmm. wanted to learn to apply things. There's, there's a distinction between wisdom and knowledge, I think. Right. Yeah. Because knowledge is like knowing and wisdom is, is experience, you know? So mm. wisdom is, is knowledge, but it's based on, something I applied. So I applied knowledge and then this is what I got. Wisdom was what I got from applying knowledge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So wisdom is important to me now, not necessarily knowledge. I look more for, for when I look for information, I don't look so much for theory. I look more for wisdom because wisdom yeah. is a person that did it and they can tell you this is what happened, you know? So that's just one of the many things that, that gratitude did for me. I mean, we we could talk for the whole day about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So I'm going to try to bring everything together. Right. Uh, I, re I, I really remember, I'm going to share my personal experience when you talked about freedom and money. Because right. that was really interesting. That was like something that triggered me when you talked about it. Because my I first still, reaction I was... That, yeah, no, and, and I don't fully disagree with you. I think it's just the point of view, the perspective. Right. Because when you said that, I was like, he's so wrong. <laughs> like, I was like, God, <laughs> honestly. That was my first reaction. Right. And So his point was that you need money to be happy? Yeah. Okay, just to clear that up for me. Andrew. Yeah, basically, well, yeah. I'll get specifically how I thought, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then... After doing so much work on myself and everything, I understood that I had this reaction because of the way I was brought up, because of my education, because of my mm. background. And this reaction was really easy for me to say because I come from a privileged family background, mm. not a rich family, but I've never missed anything. I, I've, my parents never said no to me because, you know, financial thing, I, I've always had all the food I wanted, all the toys I wanted, all the things I wanted. Material possessions, right. So when you come from this background, it's really easy to say that, you know, yeah, money doesn't make, make you happy and everything because I've never lacked the money. So actually, I don't know what it is to be on the other side where you mm. actually struggle for it. So it's really easy right. for me to have this reaction and to judge you when you say that, when actually I've never been 
lacking right. money. So it's right. a really easy reaction. Um, and I understand that when you have obviously a different background, different pr perspective and a different childhood, I, I can get that money gives you freedom and happiness that you can see that and and yeah like so what was your perspective at the time when you said it and what's your perspective now that you're wiser so specifically at that point in my life so i'll start at the beginning i my parents when i was born into this world um we we, we never had money i don't come from money the, the only people in my family who ever had money did so because they were doing something illegal <laughs> you know like i don't come from a business savvy family or a wealthy family nobody in my family had money nobody ha ever had money we come from cuba which is which we'll get into later but that's comparable to one of the, maybe one of the poorest places in the world mm -hmm. you know there's not there's no resources there's no money so including the, the my entire family going back generations we've never been we've never had money we've been very poor my family in miami in i'm not in miami i'm sorry in cuba the stories i can tell you of like my grandma the stuff she went through and my you know my mom when she was a kid in cuba they went through some wild stuff that's even worse than what i went through when i was a kid and i grew up pretty poor i grew up mm. without money um and so as a as a child growing up in bad neighborhoods or growing up when you can't get anything because oh the, the the answer is always oh i don't i don't have the money to get you that oh no we don't have the money for this all right no we can't go to disney we don't have the money for it no okay no i can't buy you that toy we don't have the money for it when when that's ingrained into your brain as from when you're a very little kid you see a different money means something totally different for me mm -hmm. than it does for other people because yeah. so society as a whole from what i see right my perspective ever since i was little was that oh you know money's the root of all evil and as i grew up i saw money more as a magnifying glass instead of the root of all evil it was more like if you're a good person you're going to do good things with this money if you're a bad yeah. person you're going to do bad things with this money so yeah. I always understood that I, that's not going to apply to me because when I have money, I'm, I, I just want to live a good life. You know, I want to take care of my mother. First and foremost, my mother, she's done more for me than, I mean, I could ever repay. <laughs> you know, I'll buy my mother the world and it's not enough to pay her back for what she's done for me and my, I have one older sibling. I have an older sister. So to, to be able to take care of her and buy my dad a house or take care of my niece and nephew it's the, these things to be able to do for them what wasn't available at one point in my life it's just about being abundant because i lived a scare in my childhood there was a lot of scarcity hmm. you know not just financially in a lot of different ways but financial affected everything else yeah. you know lack of money led to fights and it led to you know my parents fighting all the time and then getting divorced and then it led to it was like the root problem of a lot of different things that happened And I, as a kid, I remember as a kid thinking, man, this is so stupid. Like all these things happen because we don't have money. So if I just fix the issue of not having money, we don't have to deal with a bunch of stuff that we deal with on a daily basis, you know? So 
it's not so and again i think that's why we're and it, and and it's cool that you're able to see the perspectives because a lot of people they kind of just they're raised that's a whole another thing too is coming from a poor family the 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 mindset of a poor man or a poor woman is oh no having money's bad you know oh no being wealthy that's not for me that's for somebody else hmm. and then you have all these beliefs about money and then it's like no wonder we don't have money like if uh-huh. like let's say let's say for example jeremy and rosie you guys are a couple if you told rosie all the time i don't want you around i don't care about you you're not important you're not a priority in my life you guys wouldn't be together hmm. it's just yeah, no. right so look at the things we say about money money's not important it's not a priority in my life i don't need it it doesn't bring me happiness. It doesn't bring me happiness, right? It causes so problems. Yeah. It causes problems, right? It's the root of all evil. So what's going to happen? Just like in a relationship, in a physical relationship with a person, just like you, if you treated a person that way, they wouldn't stay in your life. Money's not going to be in your life. Mm. It's it's all it's all it's it starts in the mind. These these things, and and this is over a a twenty nine year journey of my life. Obviously, that I'm starting to learn these things now. <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I bought into that. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, people who have money are bad people. And they only did it because they're taking advantage of it. And I, all these negative stories that you tell yourself. Mm. And it's, it was only growing up. I was lucky enough to find some mentors uh, as I was uh, getting older, 18, 19, 20, started going into business. And, and I started learning about how money really works and, and why people succeed and why some people don't succeed. And it was, I, I've just been very blessed. I've, I, I had a hunger for, for knowledge and a hunger for getting out of poverty and I, I was really hungry when I was a teenager and and me personally I'm just I'm very blessed because I've, I've been able to learn these things and at that specific point in my life uh, or so I thought right I, I had learned a lot and I was on a, a good path to you know to making money and doing all yeah. these things I wanted with my life now what gratitude did was I I ba- basically became obsessed that was the that was the the, the difference before gratitude, it's the only goal I had in my life. I didn't care about having a relationship. I didn't care about, well, I mean, I wanted to have kids, but I, I, would, I was like, kids, I'll do that later. That's not, you know what I mean? So mm. married, getting married, I don't want to deal with that right now. That's going to be a burden on, on what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build a business. I'm trying to make money. They're just going to take time away from what I want to do. So what, what gratitude did was it made me realize, yes, money is important to me and it's something I'm going to accomplish. And... There's other areas of your life where you can be very fulfilled and that's only going to add to your ambition and your drive and your motivation and the things that make you Nelson. These other things like finding a good woman or having children or, you know, practicing your spiritual spiritual life a little more and doing, doing things like that. Going after my passions. I love traveling. You know what I mean? So I, I've traveled since gratitude, one of my goals was to, to go to Colombia. I had never been to Colombia. I went for the first time two months ago. Mm. So other, other parts of life that, yeah, don't stop what you're doing. Keep building your business. Keep, keep making money. Also, there's a lot more to life that you can do in the interim while all that happens that will, will make your life experience, you know, a hundred times better. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's about, I would say it's about your why. Like, why do you want the money, the the motivation behind it? 
and also the like the way you do it because like you said like if if you just if your goal is to have x amount of money to what you consider if i have this amount i'm gonna be happy and then you get into the rat race and and when you get to this amount your lifestyle is gonna change and it's never gonna be enough and, it, and, right. it's, and it's an endless vicious cycle you're just gonna be chasing more and more and more and you're probably never gonna be happy and fulfilled and you're gonna just kill yourself at work and be always frustrated when i think it's important to have a healthy relationship and a weird and a clear vision on why do i want this money because if it's just an amount that you write on a piece of paper and say like i'm gonna be happy when i have that it's probably not gonna happen it's yep. it's more yeah you, you need to have a healthy relationship with the with the money that you make and understand why you want to make it and and really have a clear vision on your goals otherwise i think okay. you can have a yeah just like a toxic relationship that can eat your life and mm. and your relationship with others as well yeah. i call so i uh <laughs> i call the um you ever make people who like crush a goal and then they have another one and they crush yeah. it and they have another one and they crush it yeah. i i call those people goal horse because they're never filled they're never fulfilled and it's good because you're an ambitious person and you're driven that's not bad you know that we need people like that in the world yeah i also think what you said is very important because if you don't realize as humans right we there's like a there's a process of you got to internalize you before anything else externally can make you happy because yeah you wherever you go there you are right so as a human being if i'm the same nelson now as the nelson that has you know let's say a number 10 million dollars it's not the 10 million dollars doesn't matter because if i'm the same person and i'm still i still have the oh i gotta get here i gotta get here mindset then i'm not gonna be fulfilled it's about under it's like you said not only understanding why it's also growing as a person personal mm -hmm. growth is big like understanding your your relationship with the world and your relationship with yourself your relationship with others just transforming as a human being is very important you got we can't stop growing that's that's another thing that i i always hungered for knowledge and i was always trying to get better mentally and and in my and work and stuff like that but what gratitude did for me was like i said there i, I realized that there's life has many many areas life has so and you if you if you grow in each one of those areas it's it's like it's almost like kind of like a never-ending waterfall like each area pours into the other area mm. and and the more you you realize that it all affects each other it's like i'll give you a great example i abandoned when i first found gratitude i did, i really didn't care about working out or i i ate like garbage and i, I was just like oh you know i'll do that later you know, when I have money, I'll hire a personal trainer and and I'll get fit in 30 days. What I didn't realize is, so I was really groggy when I found gratitude. Like I was tired all the time. I never had energy. Um, I, I didn't sleep very well. All these things. So I didn't realize, all right, so what's going to happen when I go to work? I'm going to feel like, like crap all day. I'm not going to mm -hmm. perform. On top of that, I'm not eating right. So on top of that, the food I'm eating is contributing to being even more tired. And it's like a 
cycles. So now what am I doing? It's the opposite. Now I'm working out, I'm eating right. Now I have energy. Now the energetic Nelson that I am now produces better results at work because I can sustain the demand at work. Before it was, I was so tired and so dead all the time. I couldn't. So now that I, I, I understand these things, like I understand that each area of life affects the other area. My goal is the same. However, the, the wisdom of, of how I'm doing it is, and the mechanism behind how I'm doing it is, is, is night and day. Totally yeah. different. This is really like a, a, a topic I'm really passionate about because I feel money is such a taboo in society. Like it's it not is. something <laughs> we like to talk about in, with yep. friends or family and stuff like that, mm -hmm. about, about how much we make or what we actually think about money. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because, I mean, um, one of the things I don't like about the whole school educational system is that we are not taught about money. We don't know when, when we become adult, we don't know how to manage money. We don't know what to do with money. We don't know how to invest money. We don't know anything about it. And, and that's, I think a huge issue because it's a big part of life. Yep, <laughs> and, and I think if, a, if a 20 years old would know how to, would understand investment and shit like that, man, we would not have to be worried about retirement Yeah, because if you invest money when you're like 20, like just a little bit, when you're like 40, 45, 50, you'll be good already. You would have such a massive mattress yep. on the side. Yep. You won't have to worry about it. We won't even need a system behind it. And it's such a shame that we don't talk about it. Like something I really, uh, I really like, it's, I think I've read it in a book. Uh, I think it's The Minimalist's book. The, the two guys that have the, the TV show Netflix, yeah, the movie the and the podcast mm -hmm. and everything. They, they wrote a book. I think it's called less is more, something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they talk about the rat race, the, you know, I graduate, I want to do, I don't know, 60 K a year, you know, a first job. And when you make 60, your lifestyle changes based on how much money you make. Right. Uh, you well, have yeah. a bigger place, a better car. Yeah. You go out to fancy a restaurant. You don't go Taco Bell anymore. You know, you go to the next yeah. one and stuff like that. <laughs> and then you're gonna okay. I'm uh, actually I need to make eighty to have a good life. But but it keeps going because the the more you make, the bigger the car, the bigger the house, the bigger the taxis, the bigger is everything. Mm. So you end up at the end of the month with the same amount of money. <laughs> so you're never fulfilled. You're never happy because okay. you because your happiness relies on the things that money is bringing you. It doesn't yep. come from within. It's coming from everything you can buy with this money. And that's the to toxic relationship I was talking about. When if you manage to find, I think there is, I really believe there is an enough in how much money we need to be happy and everything yep. else is a bonus. Right, right, right. I, I really think there is an enough, but you need to, yeah, uh, if as soon as you make more money, you buy a Maserati and then you buy this and that and that, there's never going to be an enough in this case because you're just going <laughs> to... Because wait. it's going to be the same, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I really and that goes back to what you were saying about, about school, the school system. So since the school system doesn't educate us on what to use the money on, we spend it on garbage. Yeah. We spend it on things. <laughs> what instead of, instead of putting... so. You're 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, going into college, you just graduated high school. You know nothing about money. Nothing. Right? Let's say you hit the lotto. You made $100 million. 
What's the first thing? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm buying a house. I'm buying a I'm car. Buying a car. <laughs> I'm going to have a huge party. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm having a huge party. Everybody invited. Oh, how much does a party cost? $10 million? Yeah, let's go. Right now. Did you know? It's a crazy number. It's like, did you know that like, it's like 90 or 95% of people who hit the lottery end up broke four to five years later? Yeah. It's an insane number. Why? Because those people who with the lotto, it goes back to what we were talking about. You haven't changed as a person. You're the same person who didn't yeah. know anything about money. You're the same person who was broke. So you're still mentally broke. Mentally, you're still, you still have the same thought process about money. So what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to go back to being broke. It's a thermometer because you're, you haven't grown into the person who's capable of managing a hundred million dollars mm. so that you're not going to be able to keep it. You're going to spend it. You're going to blow it and then you're going to end up back to where you were. Yeah. So the education system is a big part of it for sure. I, I completely agree with you. They should, they should be teaching us about the credit system, about the stock market, about real estate, about taxes, about all these different things, opening a, a business, all, all these different things that are essential in life are actually not even essential. They're just necessities. It's like basic knowledge that you don't have when you graduate high school. Yeah. And it's it's insane that the leaps and bounds you have to go to the, when you really figure out how the financial system works. It's like, wow, like I had to go this extra mile and search for all this knowledge when I like if it was just in the school system, you know, I would have been ready in high, when I graduated high school. You know, yeah. one community I really I really admire that I really like, like what they do is the Jewish community. I don't know if you know this, but within that community, at least here in Miami, I don't know about Jewish people outside of Miami, here, by the time that person is like a, a semi-adult, they already have like, they, they've trained them on using your, this is how you use your money. You have mm -hmm. your own bank account. This is how you get a credit card. This is how you do this. Like they're already financially prepared or at least financial knowledge. They have enough financial knowledge to where by the time they're 18, 20, they can start applying all that stuff so that when they're 40, 50, they're, they're financially fixed, mm -hmm. you know? So another, another interesting group of people is I, I would recommend reading the, the millionaire next door. It's, it's a really interesting book. Mm. They, um, in that book, I found out that one in every seven Russians are one of the wealthiest races in the world. They're, they have one in every seven Russian families is, are millionaires. Okay. Um, so it, you just a high percentage of people very high it is that very is high because in america what's the percentage like it's like three percent or one percent yeah. that are wealthy compared to the 97 or 95 percent so yeah that's the thing about me like i said it goes back to what i said i just went on a tear in my in my 20s of like reading every book i could about money and finding out how money works and it's it's the, it's very different from what we think money is like money is nothing more than a tool it really is yes it's you know mm -hmm. money has no it's a piece of paper and now it's not even a piece of paper now it's a number on your phone yeah. you know so and it's it's interesting how like all these things we tell ourselves you know it's, it's so funny <laughs> society is so interesting so i'm gonna throw a big cliche here sure. on purpose and please feel free to <laughs> tell me how much i'm wrong but it's just to sure Cause I think it's a cliche that a lot of people have and stuff like that. So right, right. most of the time we see on TV, in the news and stuff like that, that when you grow up in a poor family, you turn out 
doing bad stuff to make money, you know, dealing stuff or whatever. You you get mm. caught into some bad stuff, or you never break the circle and you stay in the loop of being poor because of the mindset, because of everything we talked about. Right. Uh, and I, I I honestly don't know if it's just a cliche because I see it on TV. I I don't know how true that is, uh, honestly. Right. So, but what I see from you is you are still really young and you've been running a business for a few years. You have the ambition to break the circle. You have been doing a lot of work on yourself to change and grow as a person in order to achieve those goals and stuff like that. And I have the feeling that this is uncommon. Very. This this, this is not something, yeah, this is not something you see very often from a modest family. Right. And yeah, where is that coming from? Because, yeah, just how how did you get into I need to change in order to get out of this box in order to live a different life? So ever since I was really little, the fr- my first thoughts of having money, I must have been like four or five. I could remember that. Like, I even remember what I asked my mom. I saw, we were driving in our car and I saw this convertible. It was a Porsche. I saw this guy and I was like, mom, that car has no roof. <laughs> she was like, yeah. You know, she was kind of like hinting at like, she didn't want to talk about it because it was an expensive car. And she was like, I was like, can we have that car? She was like, no. I told her, well, I'm going to have it when I'm an adult. I don't care if it's expensive. Like I already had that that mentality of I'm not gonna be like we are now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be different. So I honestly think because there's there's people who search all their lives for knowledge or for a vehicle for whatever they want. It doesn't even have to be money, but specifically since we're talking about money, I mean, there's people who search for some sort of opportunity all their life or some or, or a piece of knowledge that they can apply and they never find it. So I personally have to, this is what I choose to believe. Um, I'll, I'll tell you specifically. So uh, it was in a specific time frame that it happened. So I was six months away from graduating high school. I was 17 years old at the time. And my mother, I lived in Miami. Um, and my mother decided to move to West Palm Beach. And I told her, mom, I have six months left in high school. I'm not going to go to another high school. No, I'm going to, yeah, you know what? I'm going to move out on my own. I'm going to stay in Miami and I'm going to figure it out. And my mom was like, okay. That's what you want to do. Do it. So I moved out. Um, I was working. So this was my life back then. I'd wake up at six in the morning, five, six in the morning. I'd go pick up two of my friends. We'd go to high school. I'd get out of high school at two 30. I'd go straight to work at three and I'd get out at 11. And then I'd go home around, get home around 12, 1230. And I do it every day. That was, that was my life. I was working at McDonald's seven twenty five an hour, you know, <laughs> gourmet chef five-star restaurant McDonald's, right? I hated my life. I was miserable. Oh, mm. I was so, oh my God, even thinking about how I felt in them. Is, um, and, I, and I got really sad, man. I was so sad because it was the total opposite of what I wanted for myself. I was working like a dog and I had no money. I was flat broke. I was driving a 1998 Ford Windstar. If you don't know what that is, it's a giant minivan. And it used to be a male van, so I had cages. It looked like a dog, a dog van because I had cages. <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, um, no air conditioning. It was great. So I remember this one day. Remember this like it was yesterday. Man, 
I was waiting. I had just finished work. It was like 11.30, and I wasn't going to work the next day. And my friends, like three or four of my friends, wanted to go out and play pool at some pool hall or something, grab some beers. And I got there really early. I got there like 30 minutes before them. And I just, I, I like laid down on top of my van on the roof and I looked at the sky and I just was like crying. I was so sad. I was like, man, like, I just want to figure this out, man. Like, I know I'm young and I have the rest of my, but I don't want to live like this. Like, I was so sad. And at the time I was an atheist. So it's funny. I'm, I'm not an atheist anymore. But at the time, like, the more time went on, the angrier I got. And I was like, bro, there can't be a God because I, I'm a good person and and I just want to do good and things don't go my way. So, no, there's no God. There's no none of that stuff. And then that night, I was so broken inside. I was so shattered. My heart was just split into a million pieces. And I looked up at the sky and I was like, all right, look, God, Allah, Buddha, you know, whatever's up there <laughs> whatever your name is <laughs> yeah listen if if this was you breaking my legs because i don't have faith in you i'm sorry i get the message just give me a chance to like change my life i, I don't want to live like this anymore and then my friends got there and we whatever we went up and then two weeks later um one of my best friends introduced me to uh to a business to a, a business opportunity with uh with a telecommunications company And I worked there for about six years. Mm. And um, in that specific company, they were big. There was a lot of really good mentors. And they taught a lot, of, a lot about personal growth and books to read and right. different seminars you can go to to learn one-on-one -on -one from these people and um, a lot of tapes. So it was in that specific business where where I learned personal growth. Like, So I don't know if you guys know who Jim Rohn is, but he's, he's an author, speaker. He, he passed away about 10 years ago, but he was... Phenomenal speakers, phenomenal books, phenomenal audios. If you ever get a chance to read any of his material or listen to him, he's free on YouTube. So Jim Rohn's had some basic lines that are ingrained in, into my brain. He said, for things to change, you have to change. Don't wish things were easier. Wish you were better. Don't wish for less challenges. Wish for more wisdom. Like these simple things aren't too expensive. You just can't afford them. And it was it was this simple change in, in my way of thinking. I was like, wow. You know, for things to change, I have to change. And and that was the first time I understood, like, he says, you, you're paid based upon the market you bring to the value, the value you bring to the marketplace. So he says, he uses the example, the year he made this, this audio, he said that, you know, minimum wage is $5 an hour. If you go work at McDonald's, you'll get paid $5 an hour. Who was the highest paid employee last year? Oh, the CEO of Coca-Cola. He made $50 million. What's the difference between the CEO of Coca-Cola and an employee of McDonald's? The value they bring to the marketplace. Mm. It's about what do they bring to the table that that gives them that disparity yeah. in in payment and in, in how they get paid. And it's because of that. And from then I just went on a tear and I was like, so all I gotta do is like learn how to do things? Like, oh my God. And I just, that's when I went nuts. I started reading books and <laughs> going to a million seminars. Because I, I got it. I was like, I'm not making the money I want because I don't have the skills for it. Once I acquire skills and I become the person worthy of making a million or two million or five million dollars, that's when it's going to happen, mm. you know. And ever since then, I've, you know, the, the rest is history, really. So Yeah, since then you've been on a quest to grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonstop. I, I've realized that the, the masters of, of in every industry and in, in whatever area of life, they never stop growing. It's a never-ending cycle of growth. Yeah. So, yep.
how was that seen in your family? Did they understand this one person desire to change my, and everything? My, my my mother was the only person who supported me 100%. Okay. My father was incredibly negative. I didn't have a good relationship with my father for a long time. Um, he was super negative, super unsupportive. My entire family, they, they thought I was crazy. They were like, oh, Because yeah. again, like yeah. big cliche I'm going to throw, but there is always this image from immigrant family, especially, especially probably Latino family, like, mm. you know, it's hustling, working, like just work your ass off yeah. 16 hours a day and, you know, yeah. you'll figure it out and it's going to... Um, and you chose another way. You chose to take a different path to achieve the same goal, and, yeah. and you probably have way more chance to achieve it this way than the other way. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I I can see that it's not easy to understand for the old genera generation because no, they're that... so unused to stuff yeah. like that. People in general. So whenever whenever you jump outside the normal boundaries of of your life of what your life has become, people question it. Mm. Oh, why are you doing that? You're not business. What do you know about business? <laughs> who are you? You think you're a business person? You're not, you're not Bill Gates. Who are you? You're an idiot. You go work at McDonald's. That's what you're good at. You know what I mean? That's what your friends tell you. That's what your family tells you. Or they'll be, you know, the thing is at the time it really hurt. I just understood that they're, they're just trying to protect me. They're just trying to, they don't want me to fail. They don't want me to get hurt. And now I understand that and I appreciate that. At the time, I was really hurt. That I was like, man, you guys suck. Like, you don't believe in me. <laughs> and this is totally normal in any, anyone's quest for, like, becoming financially successful, whether you own a business or whatnot. Like, that's the norm. That's a typical reaction for your friends and family. That's totally normal. At the time, I, th I thought I was insane. But I realized, like, all the successful people that I, all the mentors I had around me were like, no, like, you're not crazy. It's totally normal. My mother didn't support me. My sister hated me. You know, I got, you know, there was members of my family who refused to talk to me because I decided to do this. Like, it's it's a totally, and everyone's, most, I would say 98% of people who, who are, like, financially free have, have gone through this this road. Hmm. Um, there's a really good audio I would recommend. It's called Murphy's Committee. It's by Jerry Clark. Hmm. And he talks about the different obstacles you're going to face when you make a decision to either open a business or, you know, invest your money or, or just become a, a person who's, who's going after wealth as a whole. Um, there's a lot of different obstacles and it's totally normal. It's, and it's, um, at the time it's like, it was like world ending. Like, Oh my God, my friends don't support me. My family hates me, mm -hmm. but now I don't care. Now it's because it's irrelevant now, you know, nine, nine, 10 years later, I've, I've been involved in numerous businesses and, I've built companies from the ground up numerous times. Now it's like, I always knew you could do it, Nelson. Oh, that's my son. Yeah. That's my son. <laughs> See that guy? That's my son. So now I just like, you know what? Uh, they said what they said, but it's okay. Yeah, no, but when you are, I, I, I don't think age is relevant, but in your case, when you're like in your early 20s uh, and you're taking this kind of decisions, it's scary. It's not easy. It's stressful by itself. Terrible. Having some support around you, it's incredibly helpful. And yeah. when you have everyone telling you how stupid, weird, crazy, you name it, you are, um, it takes a lot of, you know, guts and everything to yeah. actually keep going. Cause it's, it's, it's not easy. Like we, we are not designed as human to 
do things on our own like we mm. are we we look for community. community and and love and we don't like rejection we so being rejected by everyone is not something that we as human like and are designed for so yeah it takes a lot of courage and effort and strength and whatever to to actually keep going especially when you're so Definitely. young as well like now you have again more wisdom and you can see the thing things differently but when you're just still a kid you know at 20 it's like holy shit like am i crazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah me me specifically and i would th this is the advice i give to any anybody who's just starting out in entrepreneurship or or you know fi the financial industry is just search search for mentors man so mm. that that's i was blessed that i was around people who were massively successful and and i just asked them questions and I realized that everybody typically has similar obstacles, you know, and again, wisdom, right? So search, search for wisdom. And if you find it, apply it and you'll be all right. You're going to face the obstacles. You're going to face, you're going to go through pain and it's going to suck and a million things are going to happen, but that's what it takes. Yeah. That's what it so takes. while we talk about business and everything, um, so after all this work, you ended up creating your own business yeah and and actually now you're exiting this business so yeah, I am, the, yeah. the timing of this recording is interesting to talk about yeah. it <laughs> um, um yeah. yeah so i used to work for an insurance company uh, this was i worked for them from 2015 to 2017 um and i was doing good there i got promoted really fast again what value do you bring to the marketplace right so I, I've walked away from the telecommunications business that I was a part of, and I started working in, in for an insurance company and really fast, like within the first six months I was there, I was getting promoted and moved from department to department. And it, it all falls on the principle of what I said, like, since I was, I had become this person who was always growing and, and learning more skills. And I had become the most adaptable employee. I, I didn't even like being an employee, but I did it in the interim to kind of figure out what next business I wanted to do. I became so adaptable that it was impossible not to not to recognize me in any work environment. So what's funny is now let's shift back into like corporate America. I'm not my own boss anymore. Now I'm an employee. So what happens? Now your coworkers are your haters. Now not only now forget about your family and all that stuff. Now it's your coworkers that are like, why do you work so hard? Oh my God. Now I have to do just as much as you did. Don't do so much. I'm not trying to work so much. Like the mentality of all these people, I yeah. call them, I, I call them cows because the cow is like, they only move when they have to move. <laughs> so it's like their mentality is I'm going to do the least amount of effort and get paid the most amount of money I can. Right. Mm. So it's, and I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to make, you know, 10 or 15, but whatever I got, I think it was like 15 or something in an hour I used to get paid. I want to make more money. I want to move up, you know? So my mentality was do more be of service how can what skills can i implement it yeah and I, I was well i was on fire and then of course i hit my ceiling because i'm an ambitious person and i want to i'm kind of like i'm a trailblazer and i want to do things my own way that doesn't eh, when you have a boss that's not yeah, a good at some thing. point <laughs> <laughs> it gets to a point where like yeah you're working really hard all right here, here's a promotion but then eventually you'll get to the point where like all right no you're gonna do this my way not, mm -hmm. not your way and then my bosses started like not liking me and and that turned into a whole thing which I, I that was just stupid so 
but I had made a really good friend in the telecommunications business and we had, we talked every day, you know, he was, because he was, um, he, he, he was a successful guy and he, he was involved in the stock market and stuff like that. And he, and based on what he taught me, I had invested a bit of money in the stock market and it was going pretty well. And he decided to open a business on his own. And then as the bit, it, like within a few months of him starting it, he was like, listen, I need you to come do this with me. Like I can't do this on my own. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this as a sign. I quit. I put in my two weeks notice and I didn't go back. <laughs> I was like, yeah, my two, no. <laughs> I, I never left and never went back. And then I, I started the business officially December, 2017 with my partner. And, um, can you tell what the business was about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we owned a a, a patient management company where we were in medical marijuana. Um, we helped physicians manage their patient base and and a lot of other things. And we that was a risk. Very, it was a hell of a risk, yeah. Because in we, 2017, we started, that was just at the beginning when it was kind of getting illegal into some states, and yeah, it was yep. just the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. Yep, it had just been legalized in Florida. So yeah, it was a huge gamble. I mm. basically was living off. I was like, all right, I have savings and I'm basically gambling. To, I have to make this happen. And we built it from the scratch. We had zero patients. We had nobody. And from zero, a few, a few years later, about 2,500 patients mm. in our patient base. So uh, again, a lot of hard work, a lot of banging my head against the wall. <laughs> But now, so with goes back to wisdom, right? So now I had wisdom. I had been involved in several businesses already. I went and worked as an employee. So now I had both perspectives. Now I was like, all right, I've been a business owner and I've been an employee. Now I can look at this from two perspectives. And it, it went, it went pretty well for the most part. So here we are four years later and yeah, I'm no longer a part of that business. I'm in the, in the process of, of uh, selling everything there. And now I'm, I'm getting involved in the freight brokerage business again, taking another gamble. But like I said, it's, it's all about what value you bring to the marketplace, right? So yeah. I'm learning all I can and I'm just going to do the same thing I've been doing for years. <laughs> but you, you're a risk taker because back in 2017, starting a business in medical marijuana, when it was just, it just got legalized in, in Florida, like you could have been shut down three months later. You know, because yeah. of some elections sure. or whatever, I like, literally sure, could like have been shut down like the day after. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, yep. that was really like flipping a coin, and yeah. okay, I hope this is gonna work because, um, like, you were not in control of the whole thing because it was so such a new industry mm -hmm. that you could have done your best. It could have not worked out, and I mean, luckily for Louis, like, and everything worked out, and you've put all the effort that you had and everything that you had, all your sweat and tears and blood and everything in in the business to make it successful and that that's amazing but it's yeah big risk crazy <laughs> i my tolerance for risk has has immensely grown over the years immensely I, mm. i mean when i was a kid that's another thing about wisdom so when you when you go through life and you gain all this wisdom from all these experiences a problem that would have been a problem for me 10 years ago i laugh at now like mm. 10 years ago i had a flat tire and i was like <laughs> you know Now I'm like, oh, woohoo. All right, AAA, come change my tire. Come on, let's go. Like, and I tell myself that now, like now I face issues and they're huge. And I'm like, what am I going to do about this? And then I'm like, dude, calm down in three or four years. You're going to look at this and it's going to be a piece of cake. And it, it's, it's all about evolving, you know, my, but again, 
I'm gonna put that disclaimer out there. My tolerance for risk is is abnormally high. <laughs> I wonder if it's tell me if you agree or not. I wonder if it's because of your background and again where you come from. Uh, Gary V says something very often about because he grew up with nothing from again immigrant family started with nothing. He knows what it is to have nothing. So he can afford in a sense to lose everything because he's been there and he knows that he can go back from the bottom and, and do it again. Like he, yep. He's been there. He, he's not scared by it because yeah, he, he can afford to lose everything. He knows what it is. Right. I wonder if there is similarity here. Like you, you're not afraid to lose everything. You know that if you fail, you're just going to go back where you were. But you've it's been there before, so it doesn't scare you that much. It, it sucks, but it doesn't scare you when if he walks out, bing, bango. Like it's, it's amazing for you. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you actually, it's more like I'm running from where I was. It's more like you have you're totally right and that point is totally valid and i'll add to it it's more like i see where i came from and i'm running from it at all costs mm -hmm. that's more like the perspective i have it's like i'd rather risk whatever to to make a, this to business work to run and be as far away as from that as I as i can yeah okay. that's that's it. my perspective so you've mentioned being cuban a little bit I know right. that you were born and raised in Miami, but you went to Cuba quite a bit. I would love to know more about, yeah, your upbringing, but also about the Cuban side of things and kind of the sure. culture of Cuba, but also going to visit family in Cuba and what that was like. You sure. know, as we're talking about backgrounds and upbringings and not obviously having a lot of money and things like that, I'm sure that relates to right. your family in Cuba as well, because obviously Cuba's known for being not the richest country, let's say. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, so... My, I'll start with my parents, I guess. My father, uh, he crossed, he left Cuba with a Venezuelan passport, with a fake Venezuelan passport to mm -hmm. Panama in 1988. Uh, he left with my grandma, my aunt and my uncle. They all went to Panama and then from Panama they went to Mexico. In Mexico they crossed the border. My aunt was waiting for them and then they brought them here to Miami. So that's, that's how my father came. It, it's very difficult to get out of Cuba. I don't know. <laughs> back then it was it was even crazier i'll tell you a little bit about that later my mother came in 1980 she came in a in a pretty well-known event that was called the boat lift and mm. mariel and mariel where cuba basically um jimmy carter was president of the united states at the time and he i don't know if you know this but he's been voted as like the worst president in the in the history of america mm. um he basically fidel was like oh because every time there's a crisis in cuba what the what the communist regime does is that they open the borders they're like oh they want because they want to seem like the good guys or whatever they open the borders and they're like oh if you want to leave leave you know we're not going to stop you but the, the the country has to get really bad every they've done it historically throughout history and um so in 1980 you know fidel was like oh if you want to leave leave and basically he let P cuban cubans who lived in miami he let them come in their boats to Cuba to pick up their families and take them home. Oh. Now, what's what's what wasn't he telling the American government? For every, um, I forgot what the ratio was, but for every X amount of family members, they forced you to take uh, inmates from prison or people who were thrown out of like mental hospitals, and also 
uh, a big thing. Fidel was a total bigot. He didn't like gays. He didn't like homosexuals. He didn't like lesbians. That was he arrested them and cite like gays were treated really bad back then, um, and even now in Cuba they're treated like shit. Um, so he basically whatever he didn't want in his country, like mentally mentally challenged people, like whoever he didn't want in the country, he forced you to take him on your boat. That was a whole like Scarface, Tony Montana yeah, 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 yeah. stuff, Scarface. like in the, yeah, at the yeah, beginning 100%. of the movies. Nah, it's yeah. like all the inmates, all the bad guys and stuff, like, please leave. Yep. yep, and that was part of the crime wave that happened in the 80s in Miami because yep. all these criminals came from Cuba. Not that all Cubans are criminals, but, a, you know, a good percentage of the people that came were just criminals. Yeah. And uh, that's, my mother tells me stories all the time of, of the boat ride. That must have been insane. Yeah. Free, you remember Freedom Town in Scarface? Like the, yeah. the whole, the little camps? Mm -hmm. My mother was in Freedom, one of the Freedom Towns with my mm. grandfather. Yeah. But she was taken to the Orange Bowl Stadium, which now it's the Marlins Stadium. But back then when it was called the Orange Bowl, she was there. They took her there. She was there for two days. And then my aunt went and picked up my grandpa and my wow. mom. So she basically, she came when she was eight. So she, she was raised in the United States. My mother considers... She still loves Cuba and she's still, she's still Cuban and mm. I was raised as a Cuban. However, my mom specifically considers the United States her home. Like she, mm. she was like, if Cuba becomes free tomorrow, I won't leave because I, I spent my entire life here, you know, and, and my mother speaks fully in English. Whereas my dad is the full opposite. My dad came when he was 21. He was a grown man. So yeah. he came and his entire life experience was Cuban and Miami and, and when he came Yeah, different Miami, attachments and, and, yeah, and everything. Yeah, definitely. So. They linked up in like 1989 or 1990, something like that. They got married. Um, my mom, my sister was born in 91. I was born in 92. And as you can imagine, living in Miami with a Cuban family, you know, everything, you're raised Cuban, 100%. You know, every, all our values, every, everything, everything about us, our culture. Um, I, me specifically, I mean, I know you, you can't really control where you're from or or your bloodline or where you're raised, but I'm, I'm super proud being Cuban. I love Cubans, like the, our culture. I love everything about us. Um, and I can't imagine being raised any other way with mm. Cuba's my, being raised as a Cuban in Miami is such a like niche because there's no <laughs> other city in, in the United States. That's like Miami, you know, <laughs> yeah. in the world, I think in the world, definitely. I because it's, I, it is special. Like, yeah. Like you can't go to, I don't know what's another major. You can't go to Chicago and like go to the bakery in the corner and buy like a, a guava pastelito or yeah. or order rice and beans. You can't do that anywhere else, you know. Yeah. And I, I love, I love, I just love Miami, man. It's I'll never leave. You know, you know. I think it's funny that most people complain about Miami and they hate it. And I'm like, no, man, I love it. I love you. Perspective. Yeah. We love it. I mean, you know, like. I would come back tomorrow. Miami is the best city I've been in the world. I, it's amazing. I, I love everything about it, but yeah. it's just perspective. Definitely, 100%. So, so, um, so yeah. I've got a question about Cuba because we've been to Cuba two years ago. Okay. Um, the day after our part two gratitude training. Oh, cool. <laughs> Literally That's the right. day after. Yeah, I remember. You were texting us from over there. Yeah, and our experience of Cuba was, I'm going to, join you on a few things here some of the nicest people i've ever met i've been to a few countries like I've, incredible people i've met there beautiful country amazing culture i love the food but it's more the people like if anything i will remember the people that we met in cuba mm. 
it was funny actually like walking through the streets and somebody would come up and be like hi where are you from and I was like oh my god quick hold my bag they're gonna want to steal something <laughs> no and it's no. kind of that it's that like instant like when you travel if somebody talks to you, you think oh my god what do they want and then it took me like a good couple like probably a couple of days if not a full week to be like oh they're, they're just talking to me and then I'd like actually try and I mean I don't speak Spanish but I try and engage <laughs> with them and like right, right. start to trust them but it's funny that like from all these different places if somebody talks to you, you kind of get your guard up straight away whereas there they just wanted to talk to you like they're just mm -hmm. the nicest people yeah and so my question about that is um they seemed really happy but we also saw because we stayed with like families every time so we also witnessed a little bit of some of the struggles that you can have in terms of basic thing like just buying some basic necessities that you need in life uh, you know some shower gel and, and toothpaste right. like some little yeah. thing like that that is it yeah this is like a task over there it's not just yeah. going to the grocery store and having a million of them and you don't know what to choose like you need to go to i don't know how many shops to buy it and it's really expensive when you have a cuban salary yep um so we saw a few things like that but it, it was confusing because they seemed happy but then you hear all the stories and, and all the things and I can't help thinking like, is that just some masks they're putting on in front of the tourists because, I don't know, they're being watched by the government or because they want you to have a good opinion about it so you come back or are they generally happy even if a lot of things in life is shitty? Like, do you know what I mean? So... Let, let's let's break that down because there's a lot of different parts to that one cubans are good people we have good hearts yeah. I, i really believe that being raised in a cuban household and in a cuban city my entire life cubans are good people they really are and i say that because um a lot of cubans have to do some really crazy shit in life to 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 be able to just to like i'll give you an example what my uncle He, he died at sea, right? Um, when I, I wasn't even in Cuba. I had, I, had I gone to Cuba? Yeah, I had gone to Cuba once, but I was really little. I was like three years old. Him and his brother made a makeshift raft and they were, they threw themselves in the ocean. And uh, this was in 1994. Uh, so just to give you some background, from um, in 1990, the Soviet Union collapsed and the Soviet Union was subsidizing the Cuban economy. They used to send them I think it was like, it was some dumb number, like $8 million a week. Yeah. They used to send them a ton of money. And then when, when that collapsed, Cuba had no resources whatsoever. Zero. Mm. So things got really bad, which things are in Cuba now are worse. So that, that period in the 90s, in the early 90s, is called the special period. Now they're saying, and they're like, oh no, things are now are worse than the special period. Let me give you an idea of what was happening in the, in the special period. Um, cats and dogs, They, there was no cats and dogs whatsoever. There was no food since there no food, cats and dogs, they were a meal. <laughs> mm -hmm. If anybody caught a cat or a dog on the street, it was like, whoa, that that's there. Yeah. Yep. Um, some of the, let me tell you some of the stuff they kind of had to do. I heard the story of uh, there was this guy who ran out of food. He had like this little cafeteria set up outside his house and he ran out of food. There was no food to buy anywhere. He got a tire from a car, like an actual tire. He chopped it up. And he made it look like kind of like pieces of meat. He deep fried it and he put it in a sandwich and he'd give it to people and he'd sell it. And people ate it, you know, and that was 
That was cool. Um, I also heard there was this, um, you know, the mop, the cleanup. Yeah. They'd get the, the bottom part of the mop that was kind of like shredded. They would fry that and tell people it was spaghetti. Put some sauce on it. People would eat that. Um, I mean, so many stories. I mean, I tell you these stories and they're hard to believe, but it's, it's stuff that really happened back then. And now I don't even want to imagine what's happening now if it's worse. Mm. Um, I heard this one story of this guy who would, who would unroll a condom and he would cut it. So it would lay flat and that was cheese. So he'd put it on a sandwich or put it on whatever. He'd cook it up and he'd sell that. Yeah, the, the stories are pretty crazy of the shit that people went through back then. Um, and now, again, now they're saying it's worse. So it's like, actually, no, they're not saying, I went in December of last year to Cuba. So I saw it with myself and it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, so anyway, so my going back to my point of the, the stuff that Cubans go through. My uncle died at sea. I mean, think about this. He was willing to risk his life and throw himself on, on a piece of plastic. Mm. instead of saying he'd rather risk his life at sea than stay in Cuba. That's how bad it, Cuba, Cuba was at that point, you know, or is. And it's like, you know how many Cubans, whenever throughout history, there's been different countries that kind of like, all right, you don't need a visa to come here if you're Cuban. Like Ecuador, that happened with Ecuador, I want to think like 10 years ago or something, and a bunch of Cubans started flying to Ecuador. And what would they do? They'd fly to Ecuador and they'd walk to the United States. Mm-hmm. All the way, they'd pass through... Colombia and Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Mexico, all those, they they pass through, walk all through Central America and they get, they make it to the United States. And that, that there's hundreds of stories that I could tell you of, of friends of mine, close friends of mine that right now, a friend, my, um, in Spanish, you say compadre, in English, there's no word for it. I'm his, his son is my godson. He's one of my best friends in, that lives in Cuba. I'm trying to get him a flight to Nicaragua. And his plan is to, when he gets to Nicaragua, uh, cross the border into Mexico and then figure out how to, like, get into the United States through California, Arizona, wherever. Mm. So Cubans go through a lot. And in spite of everything they face in life, they still manage to, like, be this, like, happy, mm. funny, energetic people, you know. It's and just giving. who we are. Yeah. They're giving as well. Like, we were... Um, stayed in with a family like Jeremy said and they had like a two-year-old little girl I think she was about one and a half two she was the cutest little thing and he would spend the whole day on his scooter trying to buy nappies and it wasn't because he didn't have the money he had an Airbnb and he also did tours for the tourists and things I think he was quite wealthy in terms of Cuban income so he had lots of sorry it's like tourism is like the ideal job in Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. So he had yeah. lots of money, but he would have to spend the whole day going to lots of different shops to buy nappies. So just little things like that they didn't have. Yet we were there for Jeremy's birthday and they made us a big meal. They invited us around for a start, which, you know, we'd only stayed at their Airbnb. We didn't really expect anything. They invited us around for dinner and had this big thing. They'd bought a cake and they were giving us wine, I think, huge. or whiskey or something or rum or whatever it was, yeah, like rum. giving us alcohol. And it was just like, like they don't, they can't buy nappies yet they can provide a whole meal for us and alcohol and things and they didn't expect us to pay it was like it was just offered to us and given to us because it was Jeremy's birthday and it was just like the most incredible thing yeah. like we've never had that anywhere I think before and it was just like they're just so giving and so friendly and if and I told you and open if, I, and, if, if I gave you an idea of what those people had to do to get that cake and that and all that stuff yeah Ooh, it's crazy boy. yeah yeah, yeah. But they did it because they were like, you know what? I, I want to do something special for this guy. And, and that's another thing about us. We're, we're so, we're, you want to talk about ingenuity, man? We make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> like Cuba, there's no resources in Cuba. There's nothing in Cuba. And somehow like 
figure it out. <laughs> yeah, they figure it out, man. It's uh, it's amazing. So to break down, going back to the original point, so a big part of of what you experience is we're just we are a happy people for the most mm. part. We're very hospitable, very nice people. Um, aside from that, obviously there's a tourism aspect there, so they obviously want you to come again because that's like, um. And then aside from that, I don't really think there's any... now another another part of this that you probably don't understand is they can't complain about their situation. Like mm. that's that's a no no. You can't you can't say you know we live in a, a dictatorship. You can't even say that. Like mm. this, we live in a dictatorship. You know, or or um, our food is rationed. We're forced to buy it. Like. There's this myth in communism where everything is free. That's not true. Yeah. Everything they have to buy everything. They have to buy everything, and it's like it's very expensive for them. Super. I'll give you an idea. A doctor, a doctor, right? Which is like the pinnacle of like being a professional in Cuba, makes fifty dollars a month. Yeah. If that, to give you an idea of like what like what he can use that for, so he he makes fifty dollars a month, and then his rent is like a hundred. His light will be five. Like, just with the rent alone, I'm already telling you, like, he already has to go out on the street and hustle and and, and, and figure out how to yeah. how he's going to survive. Yeah. You know? So, it's it's crazy. Cuba's, Cuba's no joke. There's, um, that's that's why for us, when, when Cubans, obviously in July, I'm sure you guys saw, you know, the, the Cuban protests and, and everything that happened. For us, that was like, that's historic because... Yeah. Cuban people have been so scared for 62 years to yeah. just say their speak their mind. It's like when people finally went out on the streets and were like, "Enough is enough. We live in a dictatorship. This isn't fair. We're humans. We get to like there's basic human needs that we need." And it was like, oh, like they're 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 risking everything. They're risking their lives because cops. I mean, I'm sure you saw the images. The cops yeah, were yeah. doing some wild stuff. They were shooting people, beating people. There's, there's like over the the organization for missing persons or whatever it's called. There, there's like 500 missing people right now in Cuba. They just still have no clue where they are. You know, it's um, and for us, yeah, the July 11th last month when people finally stood up and spoke, it was it, it, we were really united. The Cuban the Cuban community was really united in a way where had never been united before. There was this thing. There's like inside joke in the Cuban community that like Cuban artists don't talk about Cuba. Because they're scared of like, oh, if I go to Cuba, they're not gonna let me go back. Every Cuban artist spoke and was at protest and was verbal. So it was very powerful to watch it. Yeah, I was into yeah. it, and it was yeah. For us, it was um, it was special for sure. Um, I wonder what um, what it's been like in Cuba since the pandemic. Because when we were there, we did a tour with a taxi driver, and he was saying he used to be a doctor, but that or an agriculture, like he did a few jobs, and he was saying, you know, he got paid, paid fifty probably even less forty dollars a month to right. do whatever he was doing but then he could charge like 30 a day to be a taxi driver for tourists <laughs> there you go but i wonder what it's been like now since obviously people aren't going to cuba on holiday because of the pandemic i wonder right. you know what how that's affected do you know anything about that how that's affected yeah people? so i i specifically went in december myself and it was it was pretty bad um so there's this new system in Cuba where the Cuban 
the regime opened up these stores where you can only buy things in, in American dollars. Oh, yeah. So think about this, right? So you're telling your people, oh, you know, they're, because they're, their whole thing, the lie they've come up with forever and they've been reciting the same garbage for 60 years is, oh, the Americans are blocking us and we can't buy anything and blah, blah, all that stuff. Okay, now from day to night, because you're running out of money, you open up these stores that are full with food, filled with food, super expensive, by the way, and you can only buy everything in dollars. Mm. So if I'm a Cuban, I get I get paid in pesos. Where am I going to get the dollars? Can you imagine living in France and the French government are like, all right, we're going to open stores and you can only use Japanese yen. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. No. So think of... Think of like the food in those stores is probably like four or five times more expensive than Walmart or, or like a local store here in the United States. So think about it. They're already like the average salary is like $20 a month. Yeah. And then, it, and the then they're going to open these, yeah. yeah. And then they're going to open these stores that are super expensive. Well, who's going to. So basically the only people who are doing okay are people who have family outside of the outside of Cuba. If you have no family outside of Cuba, you're not doing very well. That was a big part of the protest in, on July 11th was that there was a massive amount of people who had no family outside of Cuba. And they were just like, enough is enough. That's why they didn't care if they got beaten or if they got arrested. Because it, I'd rather, I have nothing to lose. It goes they have back nothing to, to lose anymore, yeah. It's, like, yeah. I'm starving. I have no food. My mother's in the hospital. There's no medicine. Like, what, what do I have to lose? Yeah. You know? So. And that was always interesting, actually, in Miami, because a lot of the taxi drivers were Cuban, again, and, you know, they'd get paid, I don't know, 50, probably even more than that a day to be an Uber driver. And then they send all that money back to their families in Cuba. And I can't imagine how hard that must be to have a wife and children and your parents and your brothers and sisters oh, yeah. all in Cuba. And then you're in the States living there on your own working day and night to send them money so that they can afford food. But I don't even know how you would send them money. Like it's just... And, and, and the other way, I remember actually when we were in Cuba, the, the guy who gave us the tour, mm. uh, the other one, he had his wife and kid in Miami and he was still in Cuba because he, I don't know, he couldn't go. Um, yeah. Like there's so many families that are separated yeah. because of because of consequences of this regime. Like some can escape, some can't, and and just spend maybe the entire life separated like that. And it's yeah, like, yeah, it's so hard. Like yeah, me yeah, so me personally, I um my my family is pretty big. I grew up with a lot of extended family. What, my grandmother has 13 brothers and sisters. So I grew up with a lot of them. Uh, my aunts, they're, they're like granduncles or whatever. Um, but to me, they're like my uncles because I grew up with them. All of them started coming from Cuba little by little. Most of them are here now. On the other side of my family, um, most of them are here too. But um, basically their family in Cuba or my family in Cuba is okay because they have so much family outside of the United States. You know? Yeah. And, and even even right now, even having family outside of the United States, it's like impossible to find things and find food and find basic necessities. It's crazy to find shampoo. When I went in December of last year, I couldn't, I had to go to like six stores to find a gallon of water. A gallon of water. Like I'm talking about, you know, it's... Yeah. When we were there as well, I mean, we went and we forgot to take shampoo and conditioner and toothpaste oh, we were like oh we'll just buy it there never mind you know like oblivious <laughs> <laughs> got there and i think we probably spent an hour walking around shops and we found one toothpaste one type like one tube like well you know five tubes but the same one brand yeah. of toothpaste the same right. flavor it was like well we don't have any i mean this is the only toothpaste we found we're gonna have to buy it 
and it was just like mad because then if you go to like anywhere in the states or in europe or whatever you have literally you have like 20 different brands and 15 different toothpaste for each brand if you've got a sensitive teeth or if you want whitening or if you want like and it was just like yeah. oh there's just one toothpaste well then <laughs> that's yeah. the one that we're getting then and it was just, like, it was so eye-opening for us to see that and like and tap water clean water yeah oh, man like <laughs> we came back to miami and it was like oh my god i can drink from the tap i can drink from the faucet <laughs> thing it was just like oh yeah. my god like that's such a privilege that's such a thing like you take for granted yeah and it's only when you go somewhere like cuba where you can't do that and then you come back and you're like oh my god i can get free water again like it's just like the small things are yep. huge and you don't realize until you kind of witness it firsthand yeah. that was only a week i mean can you yeah, imagine we take it for there? granted like, uh, we yeah, take it's... all those things for granted it's so normal for us uh, yep that yeah but, um, yeah one of, one of the most so i have a little cousin he's like 11 or 12 and he, he's really good at baseball that baseball's a thing for cubans we, we love baseball oh yeah and he's, he's been playing since he was little and he doesn't have a uniform so he's had to play basically in like whatever clothes he has if you see the face on this little kid when i when i took i, I couldn't take it but i gave it to his grandfather my uncle if you see the look in this kid's face when he saw that uniform laid out on his bed wow like Mm. better than christmas i imagine (laughs) it was for his birthday i think or something like that but yeah that was like wow like seeing things like that really makes you appreciate what you have and and being I, i thank god i was born in the united states and i didn't have to go through all that i mean i was still poor growing up but being poor here is nothing like being poor in Cuba. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. You know, so definitely. Mm. Um, but yeah, and, and, and again, despite all that, I'll say it again to anyone, I would recommend going to Cuba because it is, we spent 10 days there and I, I would go back a million times Yeah. because I loved it because it's a beautiful country as well. Uh, the the nature, the culture was stunning mm. and we only went to two places but again the people like when you're talking about the birthday at goosebumps just remembering about it like this is one of the most special birthday i experienced you know uh, because yeah they didn't have to do that and at all they should maybe they shouldn't you know like in terms of finance it wasn't <laughs> a really probably intelligent idea yeah. but, but they did it without us asking for anything you know like we, mm-hmm. it was just coming from the heart and and I, I will always be grateful for this really special moment uh it's it, it was amazing absolutely amazing mm. i would recommend anybody who wants to go to cuba go go to the beaches and go to the, to the mountains and go go see all the beautiful stuff and then once you're done with all that Go live with a, a Cuban family for a week. Yeah. And see what it's really like to live there. To be mm-hmm. a Cuban citizen, a Cuban national. See how they're treated and what they have to go through to buy bread. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's it's insane. Yeah. I, me personally, I, I think it's really funny when people, like, I don't want to get political or anything, but, you know, we have this, this thing now in the United States where you have a bunch of people talking about socialism and all this stuff. And it's like, man, until you know what, that system produces like yeah you, you shouldn't you, you should think twice about what you're saying you know what i mean mm. that's what i tell everybody like so i don't know if you know you guys know who che Guevara is. i don't know yeah. if you know who it is but yeah. he, he was a bigot racist murder cancer to humanity this guy was a terrible person 
I remember this guy, like, this must have been mid-pandemic. I went to, like, I don't know where I was. I forgot. Uh, somewhere in Miami. And this guy's wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt. So he, many people, he, dude. So many people. Oh, my God. So the guy, uh, I'm going to get into that in a second. So the guy walks up. I can clearly tell he's not Cuban. I can clearly tell he's, like, doesn't speak Spanish. He's, like, from Kansas or some shit. He's, like, an American person. And I asked him. In the most respectful way, I was like, well, what's your name, man? He goes, oh, my name's Kevin. Like, hey, Kevin. Kevin, can I ask you a question? Like, yeah, sure. He's like, do you, do you know who that is in your shirt? And he's like, yeah, it's Che Guevara. He was a freedom fighter, and he stood for the people, and he was like Robin Hood, blah, 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 all that stuff. I was like, really? Okay. Let me ask you a question. Man. Would you ever wear, like, a Hitler t-shirt in front of a Jew? I was literally going to say that. <laughs> and he was like, no, I would, I would never do that. And I was like, that's what, I'm Cuban. That's what you're doing to me right now. Mm. Che Guevara is my Hitler. And he was just like, but how is that possible? We've been taught that he's he stood for the people. And I was like, no, man. Propaganda. That guy, <laughs> yeah, that guy was the opposite of everything you've been told. That guy hated gays. That guy hated blacks. That guy murdered. That guy stole. He was a piece of garbage, man. And it's like he's deified as this, this savior of humanity. It's disgusting. It really is. Um, but, you know, I mean, and then that was a, another thing about what happened with the protest was that I, we didn't get a lot of support, which I, I I didn't care. I was angry. I don't know if you guys saw that. I did a video on Instagram that got 70,000 views. Yeah. Um, and it, it was just me speaking my mind kind of about the situation that was going on. And people liked it. People, it caught fire and a lot of famous people shared it in their pages and stuff. And it was just like weird, you know, like last year I remembered you know, all the artists and all these actors talking about, oh, we're responsible, we need to contribute to what's going on, what happened to George Floyd was wrong, which it definitely was. But, like, you have an entire country of people getting slaughtered and then you don't say anything, you know? It was did, it really hurt. Did anything change after the protests and everything? Did anything change or no. happen or, I don't know? No, yeah. unfortunately, all, whoever got arrested is still missing. Whoever died, no one's answering. You know, whoever got killed by the police or the military, no one's answering for it. Mm. Um. What else? Whoever, there's no the the internet is still pretty much cut off in Cuba. There was a strategy for the United States to kind of set up like an internet connection so they could at least tell us what's going on. You know, things are, it's it's wild. Nothing, nothing happened. We really thought as Cubans, we thought this was the moment. We yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it felt no, like it. It did, yeah. It's because it's historic. Like no one had ever protested in 62 yeah. years. You know. So, I mean, it is what it is. It happened the way it happened. I'm not going to blame anybody. It doesn't help when you have American politicians supporting the other side, <laughs> which is wrong, and it's, they should, it's inhumane, but it's what happened. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, Cuba will be free one day. Yeah. It will. I don't know how to make a smooth transition after that, to be honest. <laughs> the only thing Just I would say is if you have a chance, go to Cuba, 21. Um, Definitely. I don't think you will regret it, honestly. No. It's, it's I, I mean, from our personal experience, we loved Definitely. it. So you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy the side of tourism yeah. and, and the beauty of the country, and you'll be you'll be shocked by what, what a Cuban has to do in a communist system to survive. It's mm. very interesting. So... So the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I've got no way to make a smooth transition about it, so I'm just going yeah, to go into it, <laughs> is, um, is music. Sure. You, there is a side of you that you don't share too much. 
Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've got a transition. Yeah, Cubans really. love Cuban music and all the dancing and. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't. There's but, a transition. Yeah. <laughs> Here we yeah. Go. You, yeah, you, you, you have a, a special love for music, but mm. not just listening music. You actually like to create music, I do. and and I think eventually you would like to produce music one day. I remember on the last day of the training or the last night you actually played one of the songs that you created yourself. It wasn't Cuban music. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like techno. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you want to tell us whatever you want about, about that? How did you fall sure. into music? Where is this coming from? Sure. So uh, going back to my childhood, a big part of, I had two ways of like, building dreams or kind of escaping from my reality when I was a kid. One was movies. I watched a lot of movies when I was a kid. Um, and then two was music. Music was, was awesome. It was a great way to, to build dreams and envision things for myself. And uh, when I was about 15 or 16, my best friend in high school bought this, this little beat-making machine and we started messing with it. And he still makes music to this day. He's, he's incredibly talented. He's very good. His name is Marcos. Uh, Golden Ear Mixes on Instagram if you guys want to look at it. And um, I, I, I made music. It was really just therapy for me. It was just kind of a way for to disconnect from whatever's going on in life, whether it's good or bad, and go into a safe space where I'm alone and I can just pour out whatever is in my brains and whatever's on my heart. And I actually, I, I made music from, I was... 15 when I, I was 15 until I was about 20, 21. So then I stopped and I started again about a year ago, two years ago. And um, it's just therapy for me. I really like putting ideas together and like I'll hear a sound, like I'll hear a car passing by on the street. Maybe like it'll have like a, a like a broken tire and it'll be like boom, 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 boom. And I'll be like, oh, wait. That's a beat. <laughs> you know, I, I, my mind is just, uh, I go that way sometimes. And um, it's really just therapy for me. I, I, in a perfect world, one day I'd like to do it as a profession, yeah. Um, but going back to the money conversation, though, is I, the reason I want to be able to have, like, an abundance of money is that I want to do that all the time just because I want to. I don't care about whether I make money or not. I just want to be able to make my music as often as I want and whenever I want and be 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 able to focus on that without being like all right i gotta turn this into a business i gotta make money off this and just do it you know is that what's stopping you to get into it right now no i'm just happy i'm happy doing it on a level on a personal level there's no i really i asked myself that question i was like do i is this a dream of mine or am i comfortable just using this as like a therapeutic thing for myself and I'm, I'm okay just making music on my own and keeping it to myself and maybe showing it to a couple of friends whenever I'm, it comes up in conversation. Um, and then who knows, maybe one day I'll get inspired. And, I'll show yeah, and, the and just by curiosity, why, why are you not just sharing it with people, with the world, just even without the intention of making money, just for the sake of, you know, like upload it on SoundCloud and people can like, why are you keeping this on the side? Is it because this is like your safe space bubble and you want, I don't know, like, what do you think is that? Some of it is on SoundCloud. 
I have some of them on SoundCloud. Okay. But there's certain, yeah, there's certain pieces of music that I make where it's it's the intention wasn't to show it to anyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was the intention of this was to make it for myself. Right. You know, it's uh. I was going to say, there's a book that I read. I really can't think of the author or the name of the book. This is like typical Rosie. Oh, the creativity <laughs> one. Yeah, it was about creativity, but it was basically saying that like you can create just to create. You don't have to create to share it with anybody or to inspire anybody or to make mm. money or to have an exhibition or whatever it is. You can literally just create to create and that's enough. It doesn't have to be seen right. by anyone or appreciated or you don't have to have a clap, like a ha- you know, a pat on the back or you can literally just create to create. And I love... Oh, Big Magic. Big Magic. Yeah. Big magic. If you haven't read it, I love that book. It's all about well, creativity. But it's kind of what you've just said is that like, you know, I create things for me and I don't particularly want to share. And I love that because I think a lot of the time, creative people and artists of all genres are kind of expected to perform almost or to share what they do. And it's almost like a pressure of like, we have to make money from it and you have to mm-hmm. show everyone and, it, and get and appreciation. Only, and yeah, and like, you, and you don't it's need only to. Art, yeah, and it's only art when it's recognized by the outside world. Yeah, whereas it's it's equally art if you make it for yourself and then rip it up and chuck it in the bin. Like, it's exactly what you want to do with it. But I love that you just said yep. that without even... Have you read that book, by the way? No. I'll okay, read we'll it. read it because that will resonate really well with you, I think. <laughs> I like it. All right. Yeah. Definitely will. Yeah, it's just... I'm happy doing it that way. And, you know, if if I happen to show it to somebody one day and they like it and they want to work with me, that's cool. I, I don't mind. But um, it's really just therapy for me. Hmm. It's really just uh, like now I'm going to start working on it again. Halfway through the pandemic in September, I started writing a script for a movie. Mm. Um, and it's really good. <laughs> 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 like that's the first time I've created something. But like, man, this is good. This is really good. <laughs> I got inspired by the pandemic itself. Mm. So um, because I noticed there was a lot of like, Obviously, at this point, you know, whether you think one way or another, I'm not, you know, you have the right to think whatever you want, but there's a lot of stuff going on behind what's going on, you know, and um, I made a, I made a story about uh, a Cuban (laughs) that uh, it actually ties in a lot with what we said. It's he was born in a special period and he goes through all this stuff and yeah, he's, um, I'm going to keep working on it because I think it's actually too long. I think it might be a TV show instead of a movie because <laughs> <laughs> it's getting pretty long. Um, you know, that that I would like to showcase to the world. Once I have it into a script, that I really would be interested in. Like, well, it's good that it we have there. a few friends in common that were on the podcast yeah. that are video film <laughs> producers. So you can make it happen if you want to. <laughs> Definitely. I yeah, no. I literally said to Jeremy, like, during the pandemic, I can't wait for, like, two to five years' time to see all of the films and movies and TV shows and everything to do with the pandemic because everybody's going to have such a different, unique point of view about this one thing that happened to the entire world. Right. It's going to be so interesting to see how it gets adapted into different stories and different perspectives. And what people created in their bedroom, garage, whatever. Yeah, all the businesses (laughs) that are going to be created as well, yeah. Yep. So we look forward to watching that one. I hope you you do it. (laughs) Thank you. No, I'm going to finish it and... um... Who knows what? Let's see what happens with it. I, I'm gonna finish it. At, I'm definitely gonna finish it this year, and I want to at least have it into like some sort of draft, like some sort of manuscript where someone I can hand it to somebody and they can read it. Yeah. So I told Sue about it and she was ecstatic. She was, "Oh my god, <laughs> you're writing the script!" You know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was it's pretty good. <laughs> 
thank you Nelson I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation um once again I'm so grateful for all the moments that we shared and 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 it's really cool to see the evolution from the first Nelson that was the loud guy in the room and everything to the wise guy you became uh it's it's, <laughs> it's been an amazing journey and yeah I'm really grateful for that um, I'm grateful for you guys man uh, everybody all the friends I made in back then were really special. You in particular, like I said, we, we had a lot of cool moments where it was just us and we, we were like in small groups and doing things together. Um, and it was pretty cool, man. Um, all, good, all good things come to an end, obviously, so we're not going to yeah. get that back. It, it was a moment <laughs> in time. But who knows? You know, we're still friends and I'm glad we still are. And I look forward to, to seeing what we do together in the future. For sure. I've got one last question before sure. we end the episode. It's a question we ask every guest. If you could have a conversation with anyone dead or alive that you think is the most interesting person ever, who would you pick and why? A real person. You can't say Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Jeremy knows me, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Actually, you can say Batman. I want to know why you'd want to meet Batman. You can okay. have Batman and somebody else if you want. All right. I consider Batman a mentor. What would you why? ask him? Whew. Man, so many questions. How would you pin? Uh, how do you pin this costume? <laughs> That's my question. For him. <laughs> how do you do it, man? He's, I, he's, I know, obviously, it's fiction. So, But when you think about Bruce Wayne as a person, He's a billionaire. He's a genius. He spends, he dedicates his life to saving people and, and putting bad people behind bars. He, he has a code of principles that he refuses to violate. He's not going to kill anyone under any circumstances, no matter what they've done. Mm. Um, I think, I think me personally, the reason I, what I would ask him is how do you, just how do you stick to your code no matter what? Like it's, I, I me personally, I know it, it might it might sound dumb, but there's moments in my life where I'm about to like I, I'm having a, a, a crossroads of, of morality of ethics, mm. and I tell myself, man, like if that guy, like the Joker, right? Like he's such a piece of garbage. Like he's the worst person in humanity. He kills people and does all this nasty stuff, and the guy just refuses to kill him. He puts yeah. him in jail every time he does something, and it's like. Man, if this guy can have some restraint against that guy and he can mm. restrain himself from just like tearing the guy's head off every time they fight, I think I can restrain myself from like, you know, <laughs> stealing a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah, I w what I personally would ask him is, how do you do it, man? Just, that's nuts. So now that's Batman, you know, whatever. So let's go into a real person. Whew, that's a good one. That's a really good one. I. There's just so many aspects of life, you know, there's like yeah. philosophy and history and business. And I definitely would pick a dead person. I wouldn't pick anybody alive. And just because I have to pick someone. I'd go with Alexander the Great. Mm. Oh, yeah. We've not had that one before. No, I didn't expect yeah. that. Okay. Interesting. Alexander the Great. Why? What would you talk about? What would you want to know? 
I want to know what motivated him to keep doing what to keep going. I don't know if you guys know this, but he he conquered the known world at age 26. Mm. So whatever was known of like whatever was known as planet Earth, he he conquered all of it at 26 years of age. And like man, like what motivated you to do something because that's big if you think about it. Imagine like someone went out and like united the entire planet and was like, "All right, you know, like like this big ambitious guy, mm. young guy, and he commanded all his presence and he commanded armies and you know Persia and all that stuff. Like, man, what motivated you? To, what what motivated you to do that? You know, I, I like um, I'm I'm a I don't I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I I practice uh, martial arts. I'm a boxer. I've, I've oh, boxed for a long time. I think maybe I think Jeremy might have remembered because we did yeah, I did yeah. videos training Peter and stuff. Um, and my favorite fighter is Mike Tyson, right? So Mike Tyson, when he was go, being an amateur, going pro, he said he read a lot of books on conquerors. So like Attila the Hun, mm-hmm. um, Alexander the Great, uh, Genghis Khan, like people like that, like people mm-hmm. who conquered. And he 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 learned how to think a certain way, you know. Mm. And um, yeah, Alexander the Great for sure. I'd I'd I'd, bro, that that would be insane. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be insane. That is such a cool answer. Thank you, and thank you so much for sharing everything about well, everything we've spoken about. It's been so insightful. I've got to know you so much better. Um, and you're such an inspiration to people as well. Like having to you know go from where you've come from to now where you're at now having a business, building it from the ground up, selling it, everything. It's just, it's been great talking to you. So thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah. If people have questions for you, they want to get in touch for, you know, whatever, or just to say hi or thank you. Sure. Uh, what's the best way to, to reach out to you? Uh, you could link up with me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I have all that stuff. Uh, my Instagram, it's in Spanish, so... I don't know if whoever speaks English, but está cabrón ser brusi, so it's E S T A B R U C I E. No, I will. Yeah. I'll, I'll link it in the, in the description. <laughs> it, it's fine. I'm, yeah. I'm just gonna put it there. <laughs> uh, message me on Instagram or message me on Facebook. I'll add you. Um, by the way, because of that video that went viral, I had a ton of people message me on Instagram. Or like, oh my god, you're such an inspiration. I'm like, dude, I just I just spoke what I felt, you know. It was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think Instagram is definitely the best way. So go ahead and throw my Instagram on here and uh, reach out to me yeah, if you want to talk. Perfect. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And everybody listening, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to leave us a review. As always, we really appreciate that. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Have a great day. Thank you, guys. Bye.